Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast presented by the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. This is an inside look into the training of eight of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Marathon Trials in February 2020. And this episode is with Sarah Bishop. Sarah is just an extremely accomplished runner. She's won the Marine Corps Marathon. She's won the Air Force Marathon. And as you'll hear in this episode, she is taking an atypical approach to the marathon trials. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Not only is she an absolutely incredible all-around athlete, but she has just energy for days and a Hall of Fame laugh. So let's get into it with Sarah Bishop. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. How's it going? It's going great. Hey, I'm so excited to have you on. I'm so excited for this year and seeing what you're going to be able to do. So as I mentioned in the intro, and we talked about this before, we have like three hours of podcast audio already recorded on my other show, Rambling Runner Podcast. So I'm excited to talk to you um, a lot about 2019, but I do want to give people a heads up. We're going to touch, touch on a little bit of your past here um, touch on some of the high notes and the really important moments. But if people want a little bit more context, they can go to especially episode 96 of the Rambling Runner podcast, but episode 125 and 169 as well. And you were you were great in all of those episodes. But I think there's there's a lot of meat on that bone from a history perspective as well. Yeah, that sounds good. So first, let me say let's just dive let's just dive into a little bit of the history first, and then we'll touch on what's going on this year because you've already had. Just a crazy year, but um, <laughs> so let's just go just all the way back. So you're you're a twin, correct? Yes, I'm a twin sister, identical twin. Got it. And you guys both went to Auburn, and running was a big part of it for you. Just let's just talk about the college process, um, you because know, I think for a lot of people who are running at this level, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of where it really starts converging. You know, kind of starts going from hey. Here's an activity that I love that all of a sudden becomes a little bit more serious and a little bit more structured. So, I, yeah. So, you know, I'll start actually a little bit back in high school. Um, my sister, Caitlin, and I, um, you know, identical twins growing up, we um, did all kinds of sports together. We did everything. Um, we played softball. We played basketball in high school. We played volleyball in high school. We were gymnasts throughout our whole, you know, throughout our younger days. And we even competed in high school. We had a high school team. And our freshman year of high school, when spring rolled around, I didn't want to do what Caitlin was doing. Caitlin was a really good softball player and I was not. I I played my whole life, but I just wasn't very good. So I decided to join the track team. And so I joined the track team, uh, I ran the 400 meters and I did well. And then after she saw I did well, of course she joined track (laughs) that summer and we did summer track together and then we ran cross country and then the rest is history. Uh, We are both really good runners, uh, both 400, 800 meter runners. Um, We ran the mile or the 1600. We are pretty much just back and forth. Whoever's had a better day would win. Um, you know, just as as far as athletic ability, we're just very, very similar because of our, because of our genetics, I suppose. Um, and so, after high school, uh, we looked at some colleges, 
and we both really loved Auburn. And we weren't set on going to the same school particularly, although that's really what my parents wanted. But we we both loved Auburn, and um, that's where uh, we basically, um, you know, our, our careers kind of took off as um, collegiate runners in the in the eight hundred. So, did they recruit you to go there? Yeah, they did. I took official visits to um, Auburn, Vanderbilt, and Baylor. And Vanderbilt actually offered me a better deal. They said, you can have a full ride. You don't have to do ROTC. You know, we'll give you the whole package. And Auburn said, I can only give you room and board. And, you know, if you accept your ROTC scholarship, you know, obviously you can still come here basically on a full ride. And that's what I wanted to do. So I still did ROTC and, and took the room and board and, and went to Auburn. And Kaylin didn't get any money until uh, I think she got a little bit of room and board the following the following year because my PRs were just a little bit faster than hers um but uh but we all had well, you know we did ROTC anyway and so really um it, it was really just about what school um we thought would suit us the best so this is like a great talking point for nature versus nurture in regards to athletic ability because you, you, you have the identical same genes how are your now I know you as this energetic you know supremely like goal-oriented driven person yeah, I've never met your sister or talked to her. So it, how, how would you describe her? She is also extremely goal oriented and extremely driven. Um, but our personalities are quite different. I'm very bubbly and I feel like personable and like um, more just lively, I guess, in some sense. And she's a little bit more um, uh, introverted in a, in a, in a way, um, not quite as this like crazy bubbly personality. You know, she just would like roll her eyes at me, you know, <laughs> But, um, but as far as like, um, athletic ability and, you know, driven in personality for, to achieve, um, both very similar. And it's funny because even in high school, there was another pair of twins that ran, uh, high school cross or high school track and cross country with us. They too, they ran, we both, we, at one point we ran the four by eight together, me and my sister and Kathy and um, Jenny Choi. <laughs> so we had two pairs of twins and they were also extremely similar in ability and, you know, as far as athleticism goes and also in um, academic capability. So I really believe in the, um, in the nature part a lot, just because I grew up seeing it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it was inescapable for you. Yeah, I mean, you were able it, to see it like firsthand. Exactly. And when I tried to do something different, she was like, oh, you're good at that? I'm going to be good at it too then, <laughs> you know? And she was right. Yeah, she was right. Oh, my gosh. All right, so how did, first of all, why were you uh, intent on doing ROTC and how, and how did that play a part in your college years? Yeah, so, you know, I grew up in a military family as a um, uh, military, what you call brat. Um, my dad was um, an F-15 pilot, so active duty military my whole life. And we moved every three years and that was just all I knew. Um, and uh, I really loved the military way of life. Um, it was, you know, I was inspired by my dad to go into the military and it was always something that I knew I really wanted to do. So, um, so it was fun. Um, you know, we were both, you know, Kayla and I were both engineers in college, although different engineering majors, I was industrial and systems engineering and she was mechanical. Um, but we both did ROTC and we both, um, ran track and cross country. 
Um, but it was fun. You know, I, I didn't really feel like the ROTC commitment was um, all that much. Um, it was a class a week, you know, and then a three hour class on Thursdays. Um, uh, so it was like, a, yeah, it wasn't it, the, the commitment just wasn't that big. And then um, I knew I'd be able to commission into the military after that and already have a job set up and, you know, the career that I was looking forward to doing. Um, and also the lifestyle I was familiar with. So um, it was kind of a win-win situation. Now, how did growing up in a military family affect you um, as a child and now as, as a parent, being able to reflect on how you think it might have affected you in certain either personality traits or how you approach life or your hobbies or anything like that? In one word, it made me resilient. You know, we moved every three years. And honestly, I felt everybody moved every three years as a kid. You know, I, I didn't really know any different until probably I was like 12 or 13 because we all, always lived on military bases. So all my friends were military. So we were always moving all the time and having to um, make new friends and go to new schools. And um, so I just learned to adapt to change really easily and not only adapt to it, but really find it exciting. Um, as I got into high school, I moved, you know, I was able, we moved, um, after eighth grade, which was really lucky. So I started high school in Anchorage, Alaska when I was, um, in ninth grade and we were supposed to move my senior year of high school and, and I wouldn't have been able to finish high school in Anchorage, which, um, I would have been really nervous about and devastated because as, as I, as I got older, uh, moving got harder. You get more set in your ways and you're just not as, I think maybe brave as you are as a child, um, or naive. Um, and, uh, but luck, my dad was able to, my dad retired from the air force at that point. So we were able to stay and I finished out my senior year of high school. Um, and then, you know, went to college in Alabama and then started my own military career after that. Um, but yeah, it made me really resilient, adaptable to change. Um, I think just able to go outside my comfort zone, maybe more than most people, because I was used to, um, kind of knowing how to do that or, uh, you know, because I had to, when I was a kid and I just think it made me, um, kind of a well-rounded, well-rounded adult. Yeah. It also puts you in a position where it, it doesn't force you to do this, but you're well-served if you're kind of learn how to make the most out of like a, a difficult or transition situation. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, yeah, th yeah, there's a lot to be said about that. So when you were looking at going to college and having ROTC and you had that, you know, joining the military as part of your, your plan, what were some of the, the occupations that you were considering? And obviously you were coming at this from a different point of view is that you knew, you know, the, at the, you know, the military provided a lot of different employment options, not just, you know, kind of the stereotypical ones that people who aren't a military brat wouldn't necessarily be privy to. Right. So to get um, a full college scholarship um, for the military to put you through school and, and, um, um, and then join the military afterwards, I pretty much had to be an engineer because um, I could have done ROTC in any other major. Um, but they wouldn't have paid for my school to do that. I think if I was a pilot, they probably would have paid for my school too. So those are kind of my options if I wanted to get a full ride to college. And it was just kind of ingrained in my head that that's what I needed to do because I felt like that's what my parents <laughs> needed me to do, you know, but it was fine. I mean, I wanted to be an engineer anyway, for the most part. Um, and so, um, so I did start off though, as a, um, air, uh, an aerospace engineer. And, um, I didn't like that. <laughs> 
this is not for me. And so after my, um, I want to say going into my sophomore year, I switched to industrial and systems engineering. Now, these are extremely difficult majors. And I say this as someone with personal experience. My brother is an engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and he, I was able to see firsthand what he went through. I don't even understand the title of his thesis, never mind the thesis <laughs> itself. So I, yeah. I know how hard these can be. And you're juggling this with SEC athletics. Mm-hmm. So what, what was that like in terms of balancing it out uh, and trying to make the most out of both your athletic life and your academic life to say nothing of your social life? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it kept me on track, honestly, because there was definitely certain certain times where I had time to do my school projects or my homework. You know, I usually did, had class um, every day from like nine to one. And then um, I had practice from like uh, two to four, you know, and then, um, then in the evening was, you know, basically my free time to do my homework and, you know, other college shenanigans, you know? So, but I knew like, I need to sleep, right. So I can get my practices uh, so I can be well rested for my running and stuff. So I was not one to pull all nighters or anything like that. I usually did my homework between if I had like a one hour break between classes or um, right before practice. Um, I was always just one to just get it done. Um, and, and, you know, ROTC was was uh, just a cl- like a three hour class. So we had ROTC um, as a, as a class three times a week. And then we had, um, a two hour block of ROTC on Thursday. So Thursday was a packed day. Cause I had class from like eight to one. Then I had ROTC from like one to three. And then I had practice from like three to five. So there was Thursdays were really, really, really long, but, um, it just made me keep myself on track. And when, and when we were traveling in, um, you know, for track on the weekends, nearly every single weekend, uh, we were leaving on Fridays a lot. So I had to get notes, you know, my, my teachers knew that I was a student athlete. And so I would miss class on Fridays, but then that would leave like no time to do homework over the weekend. So I really had to um, manage my projects and my homework well. So, um, you know, that I could, I could do it all. <laughs> and it, it wasn't easy, but I didn't think it was that difficult it's just about time management you know and when you only have a certain amount of time to do certain things you're more um, apt to to do them in those time frames because you know you're not going to have another time to do it yeah that's exactly right i know there's been a ton of research done on college gpas for student athletes and first of all their student the student athletes gpas are higher than non-student athletes at almost every school mm-hmm. and they're in a, you know, for some schools, for some sports, you can't do this because hey, their their sports overlap seasons. But it's also been been known that students actually do better when they're in season, when their time is even, you know, when their time is literally at a premium because of all huh. the things that they're doing yeah. for this exact reason that you mentioned. Right. I yeah. I to- I definitely believe that. I totally believe it. Mm-hmm. So, what was your athletic highlight at Auburn? Um, so I think I had a couple, but I think the one that stands out in my mind the most, this is a good story, is that it was SEC indoors and, um, we were running the, uh, distance medley relay and it was the last event of the day. And, um, we were seated last in the relay. 
Um, and our four, you know, we were just tired. All of us had already run our individual event and our 400 meter runner didn't want to run this, <laughs> didn't want to run the race. And I was kind of, we were kind of like rallying the troops because our coaches had said, if you guys don't want to run, you don't have to run. It's the last event, you know, we're seeing the last, it's fine, you know? And so this does I, not sound like it would jive with your personality whatsoever. <laughs> well, of course, I'm the one that's going, come on guys, like, let's just do this. You know, we got to run this race. It's the last one of the, um, meet and, um, Oh, our 400 meter runner was not having it. So I was like, okay, we got to find another 400 meter runner. So we went out, I think, and, um, she decided she, she committed. She's like, okay, I'll run. So I'm like, yeah, okay. We get to run the race. So we get in the race and I forget, what, I forget what the relay legs are. Um, I think it goes, um, what, eight, four, eight, 12, four miles, something like that. I, like it's been so long. So our first leg goes off and, uh, we're doing pretty good. Like we're in the pack and actually like, okay, things are going well. Um, and then the, um, the next leg goes off and you know, we're actually hanging in there really well. And then our 400 meter runner goes, and then I'm the last leg, I'm the mile and I get the baton and I start going and I just start passing people and I'm passing people. And suddenly I'm in second place with one lap to go and the crowd's going well. And we won, we are like seated last and we won the distance medley relay. You know, we weren't even going to run. We are all America, you know, we are all SEC or whatnot. Um, so it was just a really surprise, like special moment, you know, just something that we didn't think would happen that did. So I think that's what stands out in my mind the most. I did make, um, uh, my very last year I made outdoor nationals. Um, so that was really special. Um, I did, I think I got out on the first round at outdoor nationals, but that was kind of one of my goals in um, college was to make nationals. And so I did that as an individual. And then, um, I remember I ran a PR of two Oh six, uh, at an indoor meet and I got the school record and it still stands today, which is amazing. <laughs> but, um, and I remember that was just a really, really good race for me because I never ran 206 again. I ran a bunch of 208s and I popped a 206. And uh, well, maybe I ran it once in outdoor, but I remember that indoor meet. Um, but the, I think above all, above, above all the the distance medley relay, the indoor SEC meet was was really cool. Now, knowing what I know about you now as an endurance athlete, if you could go back again, would you still stick with the 800 or would you go up to maybe a, a longer distance? Oh, Matt, I tried. I ran the 15 a few times. I ran the, I mean, I ran cross country. I was, I sucked. I was bad. <laughs> and my sister was too. And we just, you know, I, I think we just trained really low mileage and you can get away with 40 miles a week and run a 206, 800. You know, I think a lot of those uh, women in uh, the 5k and above, um, we're probably running more mileage. I don't know, but, uh, I mean, I ran cross country all four years. I definitely ran the 15 a few times and none of it was good. <laughs> Could not come close to my potential in those events that I did in the 800. My coach, I remember him saying, you guys should be a lot faster in the 15. If you can run 206, 800 meter, 206 and 800 and run cross country. I don't know how you're like just squeaking by under five, you know, equivalent to a five minute mile in the 15. And I don't know, it just never came around, which is a lot of why I, you know, ran for just a couple of years after college, kind of in the air force and then didn't run anymore. Cause I was just like, I'm not a distance runner. I don't even know that I enjoy it, but I'm not good at it. You know? But you have this endless energy that you, 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 you have like, a, you have a big engine, I guess, to put it in a different term. So, so when you had kind of, 
again, you were, you were active. You're doing a little running here and there. Yeah. Um, yes. So it wasn't like you were a laggard in any way. Again, no right. disrespect to, to laggards everywhere. The host is one, in fact. But <laughs> um, but with, when you were going through that phase of your life, were you active in other ways? Or do you just feel like maybe you're maybe you just didn't quite have the energy that you had um, that you have now or had had previously? I definitely had the energy. I, um, I backpacked and hiked a lot. Um, at that point in my life, right after college, I was, um, stationed at Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I went up to Colorado quite a bit and did a lot of hiking and backpacking in the mountains. Um, I did a lot of second lieutenant things, you know, with the second lieutenants there, you know, going out to, um, what fifth street in, Albuquerque, I think it is, and going to the bar still as, you know, a young 20-year-old. I really still enjoyed that side of me, you know, from college a little bit, you know. Um, and yeah, so I, uh, like I said, I didn't really run a whole lot. Like, I ran here and there, you know, and I definitely, I still kept it up a very little bit, maybe a few times a week, a few miles a week, and I was pretty, you know, I was okay, but I didn't race, Um uh, but I mostly channeled my energy into just hanging out with friends, being a single second lieutenant and um, backpacking um, and uh, and hiking in mountains. Got it. Got it. So then you have this next phase of your life, right? You meet Brian. Yes. Mr. Bishop. And then you guys have a whole a whole quorum of kids. Yeah. So, um, I met Brian, we were big into the backpacking thing. You know, he was big into it too. And, um, we moved to Colorado and continued that. Um, and then, you know, we, um, started trying to have kids and we couldn't. And so I went through like a few years of infertility and that really shook my soul because I am so used to Matt, you know, knowing if I work really hard at something, I can do it. I can make it happen. But this was something I had no control over. You know, like I was at the mercy of doctors and a medical team trying to tell me, you know, how to help me, you know, but like nothing we could do was going to, you know, affect the outcome. We just had to hope that what they were doing would work, you know, and I think that just really, um, you know, I was, uh, it was a really hard time for me because I didn't know, you know, this was like a dream for me to have kids, you know, and I didn't know if it could happen. I didn't know if it would, um, I went through several miscarriages in between children, you know, um, and it was like, this was like part of my life where this was the goal. Like the goal was to have kids, you know, and I just went through back to back to back to back, um, IVF, so in vitro fertilization to try to make it happen. And I had like three or four miscarriages in between a few successful treatments. Um, but that was a really big focus of mine, honestly, um, for a few years. Um, and it wasn't until after that, you know, that I had kids and I was like happy. I, I was, you know, I had like, this was my dream. Like I had what I wanted. I had my family, but then it was like, okay, now I need to do, now I need a new, a new goal almost. And, and I was also at the same time was very overwhelmed. I was so focused on these having kids for so long that I was like, okay, now what's next, you know? Um, and I was overwhelmed with having a responsibility of four kids, you know, just because you want them really, really bad doesn't um, make mean that you're immune to, um, you know, some baby blues or even, you know, postpartum depression or just, or just the shock it comes with, with having 
children. <laughs> you know, nobody, you can't really prepare for what it's like to be a mom until you are one, you know, or a dad, you know how it is. Um, and so I just, it was, it was really, um, so after, you know, the whole kid thing, I just decided, okay, I need to get back into running. Like I need a new goal. I need to focus. I need something for me. It'll make me a better me and make me feel like myself. It'll make me a better mom. It'll make me a better wife. This is not a matter of if I have time to do it. It's a matter of I must make time to do this, you know? Right. That, that, that's a great way of putting it. And just, just cause we skipped over it real quick. So you have four kids. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, uh, so um, let's just, in terms of like, you know, their, their birth ages and all of that. Yeah. So, um, Adeline is my oldest. She's nine and she's born in 2010. And then, um, I have a seven-year-old Brighton. She's born in 2012. And then I have five-year-old twins, uh, Isla and Hadley who are born in 2013. Keeping the twins going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're fraternal. They are, um, complete opposites they really are like uh, night and day i mean isla is dark skin and brown like me and and hadley is much lighter skin blonde hair blue eyes like um closer to like brian and um yeah so they're they're funny it's 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 fun yeah your blonde hair kid again this is a complete tangent and for the listeners i apologize but she looks identical to my friend's daughter and every time i see a picture picture. every time i see a picture i'm like oh my god sarah bishop she she took my friend's kid Show me that picture. I have to agree. That is uh, scary. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. So, all right. So, so, you, so you got to the point where exercising wasn't some sort of luxury about like, hey, I, you know, it'd be nice if I could fit this in or, mm-hmm. man, I don't want to buy a whole new wardrobe here. I better, I better get my butt in gear. It, it was more of like, a, you know, you, you just needed to get out the door for your own sanity and mental it health. It was such a necessity because at that point, um, you know, I was getting the twins ready in the morning and Brian was getting ready, uh, ready, the big girls. And we would like caravan over to our in-home daycare at 6 a.m. I would drive an hour to work um, in, you know, Bay Area traffic, which was a nightmare, even at 6 a.m. Get to work at 7. I was always the last person there at 7 a.m. Work till 5. I had to work. I had to leave at 5 on the dot. Everybody else was staying late. We're working in construction. You work long hours. That couldn't be me. I had to arrive at five to get to my daycare at six. So my kids were in daycare, you know, 12 hours a day. I felt immensely guilty. Luckily, there was a great in-home daycare. Uh, Anna and her family were just, you know, loved them like their own. I knew this was only for two years before we would move, you know, to um, D.C. And hopefully I could find a better situation as far as my work hours and commute would go. But we'd get home at six. The kids were cranky. You know, it's the witching hour. They're hungry. They're tired. I'm tired. (laughs) You know, it was just like it was insane. And so even though like my day was like I had zero time to run, I was going to find a way. So either. So what I did, luckily, we had a shower at our building and I would run at lunch um, during during work. So I would run, you know, at my lunch break. Nobody else did. But it's funny because after I started doing it, people started joining me, which was awesome. And there was one time we had like 20 people come out on a lunch run when nobody had, you know, when I was like. Nobody had done this before. So that was really neat. Um, but if I didn't run at lunch because I was too busy, I would do it at eight o'clock at night. Like I was going to get the run in no matter what, because I just felt like a better me if I did that, you know. Mm-hmm. 
This episode is sponsored by Aftershocks, the award-winning headphone brand best known for its ear-opening listening experience. Powered by patented best-in-class bone conduction technology, Aftershocks headphones sit outside your ear so you can hear your music and your surroundings at the same time. Aftershocks is a must-have headphone for runners, providing them with the ultimate level of safety and comfort without compromising quality. Not only runners, but bicyclists as well. I can't say that enough. It's so important for cyclists to hear what's going on around them, even more so than runners. And this is a huge thing for them as well. So learn more and save $50 on Aftershocks Endurance Bundles by visiting olympictrials.aftershocks.com. That's olympictrials.aftershocks.com. Calm. In addition, let me just say, six-hour battery life on these things. I love wireless headphones, but the pain in the butt about them often is their battery life. I don't like having to charge them every single night, and you don't have to do that with Aftershocks. So give them a shot, olympictrials.aftershocks.com, and use code R-T-T-O-T at checkout. That's RUN, I'm sorry, ROAD to the Olympic Trials acronym, R-T-T-O-T at checkout. So after you found that better you and you running had become this consistent force in your yes. life, how quickly did you start to, to change your mindset from, hey, I just need to do this to, okay, now I'm starting to have goals again? Well, I will say, I, you know, I told myself I need to do this, but I set a goal. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I thought, you know what, if I train a little bit and I give myself six months, I might be able to break 130 in the half. That was my goal. I started running in April of 2014 and I had signed up for the San Jose rock and roll half, which was August 6th. Okay. And so after I started running very quickly, I started to realize, wow, like I'm improving. Like this is awesome. Like I'm running, like I'm just getting better. So then I decided maybe I could break 130 at the San Francisco half marathon, which was the end of July. So I signed up for that. And um, it was my first half marathon I had done in like 10 years. And um, honestly, I was like, I thought I was in much better shape than a sub 130. I thought I might be able to run like 126. But um, so I went out there and I did everything wrong. You know, I didn't hydrate before the race and it was a little bit humid. I went out way too fast. I just died on a few of the hills. I started to walk in the aid stations at the, at the end. But I came through the line in 130. And I was so proud because I was like, oh, my gosh, like I almost made my goal. And I just kind of like messed a lot of things up. But, you know, it's within reach. You know, I can do this next time. And so then um, one month later, I signed up for the giant half marathon. It's like September, um, the very first week of September. And I was going to do everything right. And my training in the, the month after that had just skyrocketed. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I might be able to run 126 like I thought, you know. And so I hydrated, I ate really well, it was a nice cool day, it was a flat course, and I ran a completely even race, and I vomited at the finish line, and I ran 125, and I was just, it was it's still to this day, like, one of the best memories uh, that I have in running, because it was just, you know, everything just came together when it should have, and it exceeded my expectation, and, you know, that never happened, so... <laughs> so, so, so let, let I me, mean, let's reframe this, right, because this is, you're somebody who at the peak of your running career, at least your peak at that point in your life was college. And you yeah. at this point has said like, I'm not good at endurance, 
right? Obviously, right. this is relatively speaking. You're comparing yourself to high-level Division One runners, but you you and your coach were like convinced that like this just wasn't working out. Who knows why? Mm-hmm. And then here you are. You have this unbelievable race, right? This yeah. paradigm-shifting moment. You run this 125. What did that? Yeah. How did that reshape what you thought regarding your running future? Well, I immediately thought, wow, like. I might be able to break three hours in the marathon. And my sister had run a marathon. My Actually, every member of my family had run a marathon. I have three sisters. They had all run marathons. My parents had both run a marathon, and I hadn't yet. And I'd always said, well, if I'm going to do it, I want to, like, train and try to do it well and try to get, you know, close to three hours. Yeah, I, I mean, I was like, but I was never going to actually train it to do that in my, in my mind. So I was never going to really run a marathon. But after that, after I ran 125, uh, that day, I signed up for CIM. CIM, um, which was only in, like, two or three months, right? Because that was October CIM was in December. And I was like, I think I can do this, you know? Um, but yeah, when I first started running again, Matt, in April, you know, just six months prior to that, I had told myself, you know what, even if I never get back to the level that I was, this, that has to be okay. You know, it, it can't matter. I have to say, you know, this is, I'm in a different place in life and I can still feel fulfilled in my training and improvements and accomplishments just as much as I did when I was in college. But I just can't compare myself to that person because I'm in a different stage of life. And it worked. Like I was happy with my accomplishments and just in running faster and getting better. And I did feel just as fulfilled. You just continue to raise your expectations as you get better because you're still chasing that feeling of, of, um, of accomplishment, which means you're getting better, right? So it never really mattered that I was, you know, where I was starting from. As long as I was getting better, I felt like I was accomplishing something and, you know, reaching, you know, and reaching my goals. Um, But at that point, like you said, you know, when I uh, ran 125, I thought, wow, like maybe I can break three hours. So I'm going to sign up for this marathon and see what I can do. And, uh, I distinctly remember, so like a week before the marathon, (laughs) my sister was asking me, you know, what I thought I could run. And I said, Oh, I think I can rake three hours. And she goes, Oh, you can't do that. (laughs) You know, like they're competitive self. She's always so competitive with me. And I was like, how do you know? You don't even know how I've been training. She's like, no, you might run like three ten, but no, there's no way you'll run three hours. And I'm, that made me so angry, you know, (laughs) this is just twins you know, twin sisters speaking to each other, of course. Um, and I was like, I'm definitely going to do this. And I ran, and I ran, um, two fifty two. Oh and my God. So you, you yeah. killed it. I killed it. I, I mean, still another, like one of my best days, like, of, you know, running career, just like, how did that happen? Like, it was just amazing. I mean, I just, yeah. What a day for me. That was crazy. So what was your mileage at this point? I was running about 60 miles a week, 60, 65 miles a week. Okay, so let's let's talk about schedule and recovery because, as you mentioned, you you were working full time at this point. I don't know if you had moved out of the Bay Area yet, but you're still you're working full time. You got a bunch of kids. Yeah, you know you're doing all this stuff, and you're trying to run at at this point. You're running sixty miles a week. That's a huge commitment, not only yeah. in terms of time, but also the time needed to recover from that level of effort. So, what mm-hmm. what exactly did your schedule look like, and how did you manage your recovery, both the good and the bad? Yeah, so that uh, about October, no, it was October, uh, we moved to the Bay Area, because I literally ran, or sorry, we moved to DC from the Bay Area, because I literally ran the rock and roll 
half marathon in San, San Jose, got in the car with Brian and started driving with all our stuff. I didn't even take a shower. We were going to drive eight hours that day. We had, the kids were already with one of our parents and we had stayed an extra day because I wanted to run this race. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we moved and I was working full time. Um, my company transferred me, which was amazing, um, to our, to an office that we had in DC. So that was fabulous. They were awesome. And, um, then I ran at lunch again. We had, uh, shower in our building. And that is usually when I ran. Um, I could have run in the mornings, but I did not want to get up. So I didn't, <laughs> but I usually ran once a day at lunch and then, you know, did a long run on the weekend. And that was an easy 60 miles a week or so. Um, and you know, recovery, uh, uh, non-existent, just a lot of sleep. You know, I always went to bed on time. And, um, I wasn't getting up at 4am. So I had the luxury of getting at least eight hours to nine hours of sleep a night. And that's what I needed to recover. And that seems to be for a lot of people, like the, 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 the line between, you know, solid recovery and poor recovery is that eight, that eight hour line. I really think sleep is huge. Um, yeah, I mean, I would not have been able to run what I did or even now train the way I do without the amount of sleep I get. It's just so imperative. Just, um, yeah, the, there's a, I cannot tell you how important sleep is for recovery and performance purposes. Yeah. Okay. So you run that 252 again, a hu- another huge performance, right? You do the 125, <laughs> then you do the 252. Yeah. So now there's, when did the 245 Olympic trials qualifying time enter your consciousness? So um, it didn't really enter my mind at that point. Uh, I knew it was 245 and I felt like, wow, that's still pretty far off. Uh, but I'm, but at that point I was like, I'm going to run the Boston marathon because I'm amazing. You know, <laughs> I like email, I emailed the, uh, yes, the Boston coordinator to see if I could run as a sub elite in April and they let me in. So that was awesome. So then I'm training now in 2015 for the Boston marathon and I ran 120 at the DC rock and roll half. And that was another just great race for me. Um, and then, so I was ready to do well at Boston and I thought I could run like 248 on a good day. And, um, but I got like this Achilles niggle and my, you know, this injury that kept me off for like two weeks, just like five weeks before the race. So it really threw me off. And then this was the race, you know, in 2015 where it was 40 and rainy. And so there was some hypothermia cases. Um, so I didn't dress well. I wore like a sports bra and, um, and shorts. I also, um, had some kind of stomach virus the night before and I was throwing up my, apparently my kids had gotten sick. Like, and um, my mom had called me and was like, the kids are sick. I was like, Oh no, you know, and I'm in Boston and then I got sick, you know? And so like, it was a, st- a perfect storm of, um, things not going right before the Boston marathon for me. So I ended up DNFing at 23 and a half miles with basically hypothermia. Uh, and, um, it was really brutal. I, uh, just was shivering. I, I couldn't stop shivering for like two hours, just uncontrollable shivering. It was crazy. You know, there's people in the med tent next to me. Um, like this guy's blood pressure crashed and he had to go to the hospital. It was nuts. Like I really didn't understand that you could get hypothermia like that in a marathon race. But anyway, so that was not a good experience for me. Um, but I was like out for blood, right? I was like, okay, I need my revenge marathon, right? Because that's who I was, <laughs> maybe who I am. And so a month later I went to um, grandma's 
marathon and I ran 253. Wait, 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 a month later? Uh, well, it was, well, I guess it was April. So two months later, sorry, April okay. 20th, two months later, two months later, I ran grandma's and I ran 253 and it was fine. I wasn't, I didn't have the best training, but um, that was fine. So it was actually Matt at that point that I thought maybe I could run sub 245 if I really, really get my act together. Okay. Um, and then I got the stress fracture in my hip that summer. Um, so, so I was out for six weeks. I was devastated because I was going to run CIM again. I really wanted to run a 240X marathon, you know, somewhere in the 240s. Well, I got, I was running again by October and I trained my butt off for two months and I went out there and I ran 247 and it was a really good day for me. So at that point, um, I had not just like at that point, sorry, Matt, the, the trials time was 242. That's right. That's why I wasn't thinking about it really, because, um, you know, I had run 252 the year before and it was still 242. But then two weeks after CIM, when I ran 247 is when they lowered the standard to 245, right? So all these people people who had uh, run sub 245 were retroactively getting into the trials. And the trials were in a few months, you know? And um, I thought, wow, I'm only two minutes off now. I'm not five minutes away. You know, I'm two minutes away. Um, so I went out to Houston. And I bombed Houston, <laughs> which is which is in January after you just run. A, so that that would be basically your fourth marathon in nine months. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. That is correct. But it was my last chance. I right. had to run a five minute PR. I was ecstatic, but I was only two minutes off. Of course, like what am I going to do? I should try. And the, no, no way. I was off by half. <clears throat> I was uh, I was off pace by halfway. And then I kind of just jogged it in. I, I ran like 315. <laughs> right. Because the whole point was to get to 245. I, and I, if you're not going to get there. Was, exactly. I was, you know, I was off at half and I didn't really care after that, you know, but I did finish. So uh, Houston was a great marathon. It was like, there was a lot of crowd support. It was, it was um, an awesome, uh, awesome marathon. I just didn't, you know, I didn't run well. <laughs> so yeah. So, okay. So then I ran Houston. Um, it's what, 2016 now right um the trials go on um i go on to not have a very good year at 2016 i ran 256 at the mcm marathon which was my slowest marathon yet so that's marine this marine corps marathon yeah it was the first time i'd run marine corps and i loved the race it was so fun my goal was to podium you know um and i didn't quite do it i got fourth but i was disappointed with the 256 because that was my slowest run and so that's when uh the beginning of 2017 i got serious and i'm like okay i need some help because i'm not doing myself any favors racing all these races and you know i still do that but i'm like i need somebody to train me and give me some direction so that's when um i looked up you know mccurdy trained and James started coaching me in 2017, and I instantly saw results. I was doing workouts that I would never have thought about myself. I was running faster than I never would have wanted to, you know. Um, so I went on to find to PR um, after two years in the half marathon, uh, ran 119 that spring, and then that's when I went on uh, in 2017 in the fall to have like the best best marathon season I've had yet. So uh, that's when I ran, you know, the 245 at MCM and then the 242 at uh, CIM. And you won MCM that year, right? Yeah. So I wasn't, MCM was not a goal race that year. It was all about CIM. It was all about running sub 245 at CIM. But 
Um, I had run MCM the year prior and I hadn't run well. And um, I knew the weather was going to be perfect. I was having all this just nostalgia, like, oh, I really love this race. I just want to run. So it started out with, hey, Janes, you know, I think I'll just do my 22 mile long run during MCM because I had a 22 mile, mile long run on the schedule, which was awful. Like that would have been, that would have killed me. And he, um, he was like, um, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then I thought if I'm going to run 22 miles, I might as well just run the whole thing, you know? And I had had like a super workout the weekend before MCM. And I was like, oh my gosh, I might be able to do this. I might be able to run 245. So I, so you're not tapered. There's, there's not tapering. And then there's literally not tapering. (laughs) There was no taper, but you know what? Like, here's the thing. Like, there's so much to be said about being in a groove and like when your body is just feeling it, you know, like don't mess with the, the rhythm. And, and that's just kind of where I was at. I was in a really good rhythm. And, um, and so I just knew I was going to have this good day because my workouts were just getting better and better and better. And my legs were feeling awesome. And, you know, James didn't want me to run the whole thing for a good reason, you know, like what if I, you know, really messed, you know, really bombed it or, you know, what if I, I, you know, couldn't turn myself around in two months to run well at CIM, you know, there, of course there was all this risk I was taking. And one of his professional athletes emailed me and was like, you really shouldn't do this, you know, which was really nice about it. Like he cared, James cared, but I was like, no, this, I know this in my soul that I need to go do this. And so I did. And I, I, you know, I ran 245.07. I missed the mark by seven seconds, but I did win the race. Uh, in a lot of ways, it changed my career, you know, changed my life a little bit, you know. Um, but uh, I ran perfectly even splits, uh, negative split a little bit. Like there was nothing else I could have done that day, you know, to to uh, get under 245. Um, but um, yeah, it was really surreal. Well, I love this because this is this is the push and pull that has really been at the heart of the last 3 years of your athletic p- performance is this push and pull between goal races and you're just innate desire to race as often as possible Absolutely. and trying to, and trying to balance these two paradoxical things. It, you're right. And I struggle with that. I struggle with it maybe more now than I ever did because it's just in my personality. Like I have to do, um, you know, I train really hard for a reason. And that, <laughs> what is that reason? Is, is the reason just to enjoy racing and just go in there and be spontaneous and see what I want to do? Or is the reason to try to run as fast as I can and be my best running self, you know, and I want to do both, but it's very difficult to do both well, you know, so I do struggle with that. And sometimes it's a big hit and sometimes it's a really big miss. A lot of times it's a really big miss, <laughs> but when I hit, man, it feels good. Right. Right. But you, but it seems like you also enjoy testing yourself and there's something to be said for going into a race, not in an ideal situation and saying, and trying to figure out like, Hey, can I accomplish this anyway? And it also sets the bar for like, if it doesn't work out, you can just be like, Oh, well, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I, it didn't work out, but I know why. And I'll just give it another trend, another chance. You know what the heck? Absolutely. I really feel like the fastest way to success is failure, you know? Um, and if well, then I'm about to be a huge success, Sarah Bishop. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh gosh. If you race over and over again, you know, um, you're going to hit some, you're going to miss some, but the ones that you miss, you kind of, you do learn something from them, you know, um, whether it's tactical or, you know, how you can push your body differently or backing off a little bit. 
Um, I don't know. Like, I can't really tell, you know, it's hard to nail down the lessons you learn um, when races don't go well. But um, there is something there and there's something to be said about that. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I don't regret any of the races I've ever run, really. I've learned something from all of them. They've all been a unique experience. Um, and you're right, I completely enjoy testing myself in different situations, whether it's on tired legs or fresh legs. And I try to adjust my expectations for that, you know, in the race. Like, yeah, I might not PR, but I could still get top three or maybe I can still win, you know? So I, you know, if you have... Um, uh, as long as your expectations are on par with, um, you know, the race that you're going into and how your body's feeling, um, you know, that's all good. Uh, but you might not be able to run a PR if you're going to run a marathon every other month, you know? So it just, uh, there's just some give and take there. For sure. So let's talk about, uh, the fall of 2018. Yeah. When you went on a racing binge. Yeah. So. Um, at this point I had run, you know, four, I had a fantastic, um, 2017 fall, you know, ran 245, won the marathon, ran 242 and qualified for the trials. And then I ran 116 in the spring, you know, which is kind of my goal is to run a fast half in my mind, Matt, <clears throat> I had accomplished what I wanted at that point. Like I was satisfied and that's so hard to, that's really not hard for me to say, but you never see that, you know, everyone's always like, Oh, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy, but never satisfied kind of thing. I'm still hungry for more. And like, I just wasn't as far as like running faster. I, I just wanted to go race a bunch. Um, and, um, not, not, I just wasn't willing to commit to the training necessary and the process necessary to, um, focus on a single race for a PR, um, uh, because I know how hard that is and I just wasn't motivated to do it. So, um, I did, I raced like every weekend, like eight weekends in a row. I had some good races. I had some not so good races. I never had a great race. I was also running a little bit injured. I had a high hamstring tendonitis issue that was getting worse. It all kind of culminated right in January when I, um, got a pelvic stress fracture. Uh, well, I, I got a sacral stress fracture, my left side, um, probably from compensation from the high hamstring tendonitis in my right side, which was also at that point, um, turning into a stress reaction in my pelvis. So, <laughs> so, the, so you, so you've gone through this wild, you know, situation where again, for almost three months, you'd race every weekend. These weren't just five K's you're running halves and you're doing all, you're putting in a lot of time, a lot of training. The, yeah. the, the injuries happen. Right. What was your, you know, obviously, you know, with this sort of thing, it's not like you were unaware that there was something going on. It also right. wasn't a sudden injury. It's not like you like stepped off the curb and broke your ankle. And it's like, right. how, you know, how could this happen to me? Like you obviously saw this coming, but once, right. but once it was diagnosed and you were given, you know, kind of the roadmap for recovery, what was your mindset in terms of just, just your athletic pursuits and what you were thinking about for the upcoming year? Yeah. Um, so right before the injury happened, I mean, I knew what I was doing. I knew I was running injured. I knew, um, I really didn't know what was, I, 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 at that point I did think it was high hamstring tendonitis and it wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. And I couldn't really push off my right leg. And so already I was thinking, uh, something needs to change. Cause I'm not going to race well like this. I can't just keep running on it, even though I was, but I couldn't stop myself, you know? So it was almost a relief <clears throat> when I got injured or so when, when like the stress fracture happened. Cause then I had to acknowledge I need a rest, you know, and I need to reevaluate 
what I'm doing here and what my goals are. Um, because at that point, I really didn't know what I wanted. I'd done all the, you know, I'd run PRs. I'd done all these races. Okay, now what? You know, like what's going to motivate me? Um, so um, I knew I was going to have to cross train. And for whatever reason, I started thinking about Ironman again, because I had thought about Ironman triathlon a few years ago and wanted to do one, right? Because it's new and exciting and I want to try it. But at that point I was going for the trials qualifier and, and wanted to see out this marathon thing. But now that I was injured, I had to do something to keep my sanity. So I was like, I'm just going to dive into Ironman. You know, I'm going to buy a bike. I'm going to sign up for a steelhead, you know, which is in a few weeks. And by June, I should be able to do an Ironman. And I thought maybe I could get first or second in my age group and go to age group nationals, you know, like, so that was like, I think I could do that, you know? So were you thinking 70.3 distance right away or or are the full 140.6? Oh, 70.3. Absolutely. Yeah. There was no way I was going to be ready for a 140.6. And I couldn't even wrap. I still can't wrap my head around that distance quite yet. But um, and even 70.3 seemed really daunting because, you know, half marathon I've done, but 56 miles before that. And then swimming like, wow, like that's a four and a half hour race. The most I've ever raced is, um, you know, two hours and 45 minutes, you know? So, um, so this is all new and exciting though. And daunting. Cause I didn't know how good of a cyclist I could be or swimmer. And if I could make this goal, but it was exciting enough that I was like motivated and, um, and wanted and, and ready to train again, you know, and excited about, excited about the challenge. So that's when I signed up for like three half Ironmans, you know, at that point I'd signed up for steelhead, uh, the Ohio um, half Ironman and then the um, Muncie half Ironman in Indiana. So it was like June and then two in July. And I was just going to commit full time, you know, like to just trying to do this, um, you know, going, going all out, you know, do let's do three of them, get better at them, see what happens and see if I can make age group worlds kind of thing. So you had, so it's hysterical. So you were like, all right, I'm a novice. I'm going to give this a try. <laughs> also, I want to go to the world championships. <laughs> Yes, but I guess I thought I could get, you know, first or second in my age group. You know, like I, I don't know why. I mean, I, I was looking at the results and I thought, okay, I, I know I can do the run. Maybe I could do the bike, even if I was 20 minutes slower in the bike. I don't think I'm going to be 30 minutes slower than most people. Maybe I'm 20 minutes slower. And then I thought, oh, the swim, I'll survive the swim. The swim will be fine. <laughs> this is like, this is like the definition of like ignorance is bliss type moment. Yes. Certainly. Yes, that is exactly right. Um, so, 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 so you start, so you start kicking butt on the bike. So, I mean, so you, you, it's, it's, it's winter, you're doing this, yeah. you know, you put, you put the bike on the trainer inside the house and you yeah. just start, I use, I mean, you start getting after it because you running is not really an option at this point. Yeah. And you know, if you really want to put in tons and tons of aerobic work, there's really is only one option for you. That's right. So yeah, I was kicking butt on the bike. I really didn't know what my progress was because I didn't have a power meter or anything like that um, until a few weeks before my first 70.3. And so, um, but um, yeah, I thought I was doing pretty good. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was working really hard. I had no idea though. I really did not know. Um, but then um, uh, I realized I started, I was able to gonna be running sooner than I thought. So that's when I signed up for the Chattanooga race. And um I was so desperate to run this race because I was like, oh, oh I, I need I need another shot. You know, I need some practice. So I'm going to run Chattanooga. I'm going to do Chattanooga in May, 
you know, I'll be running for like six weeks, six to eight weeks by then. But it was sold out. The race was sold out except for Ironman Foundation entries, which are like twice as much as regular um, uh, general entry. So I like stewed over that for two days and I said, screw it. I'm, I don't care. Like, I'm going <laughs> to gonna sign up and run this race. So I did. Um, and yeah, so I was able to get outside, you know, in uh, like three or four weeks before Chattanooga and do some rides. And the first couple times was so humbling because I fell like at every um, road crossing on the on the bike trail. And there was at like the third or fourth time I fell, I literally just sat there and I just started crying, uh, which is embarrassing for me. But I was like, I can't even ride a bike. I just told everybody that I'm going to go to the world championships and I can't even ride a bike. <laughs> oh my God. And this guy is like in the road. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, mm, yeah. <laughs> But I got up and I started going like, no, 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 it's okay. Like I, I can, I just have to stay on the bike. I just have to not fall off it. You know, like I thought I will learn. I will learn. I can do this. I can do this. And so I just kept practicing and, um, I did learn and, um, and yeah, so, but there was definitely a moment there four weeks before the race where I was like, oh my gosh, what am I <laughs> four weeks before the race i can't emphasize that enough because bike handling is an important thing obviously this isn't the is. tour de france where you're not like descending a mountain or something like that but but being able to handle your bike is really yes. important and I you only worried. get that from from training on the roads right and the, and and the first couple of times i was outside like wow like i felt so unstable you know and just thought how can i put my fitness to the test if i can't handle the bike you know like i just felt unstable and wobbly and uh, you know i couldn't even unclip or clip and but uh i thought i just need to really get my act together in the next few weeks you know like i'm committed like i'm doing this race one way or another you know even if i doesn't matter like i, I have to do this <laughs> so, oh yeah it was very very um uh uh, I was so it was anxiety driven, you know, but also like I knew like, OK, I have to do this. I have to do this. So it's also really kind of exciting to me, too. Like I, like I only had a few weeks and I had to learn how to ride the bike. And I knew that my fitness would be there if I could just handle the bike, you know, if I could just learn um, how to handle it. Got it. And then so you get down to Chattanooga to yes. do this race. You have big goals with a <laughs> lot of uncertainty. So much uncertainty. Oh God. I was so nervous. I've never been so nervous in my life. I was like, uh, you know, like fanning myself in the car, like telling Brent, Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't believe I'm doing this. And it was mostly just the unknown, right? I've never done the transitions. I didn't really know like where I would go in and out of the shoot, right. To get into the transition and out. So I was just asking detailed questions, you know, to the volunteers. Okay. Where exactly do I go in? Then I get my bike and where do I go out? Where can I get on my bike at? You know, how do I get back into the chute? You know, so um, that, yes, I, and, you know, I read the whole rule book. There's all these rules on drafting. You know, you have to stay like six lengths behind um, the person in front of you uh, or you can get a drafting penalty and then you have to pull off into the drafting box for five minutes. So there was that. And then it was like, you can't throw your trash on the course. Um for example, I sat in transition mat and in, in transition two and chugged a Gatorade endurance 
for like 10 seconds because I wasn't going to be able to run with that bottle. And, and if I did run with the bottle, I'd have to wait all the way until the first mile to throw it out in the trash because there was designated spots uh, at the aid stations where you could throw trash. And if you threw trash before then or after then, you would get a five minute penalty, which every marathon should enact because it's an easy rule. Right. But um, they're serious about that, you know. So there's all these rules. Um, you know, um, with, uh, Ironman triathlon and transition, the transitions were very confusing to me. Um, and then all my gear, like literally I didn't realize I needed like a race belt until the day before the race, um, to put my bib on. So I could just, you know, I didn't have to sit and transition and safety pin the bib onto me when I started the run. I like, didn't, I like didn't even cross my mind that that was, I needed that, you know? Um, so I was very nervous about forgetting things like, or not being really as prepared as I needed to be because I was so naive, you know, <laughs> you know? right. And then not, not only with these little things, which makes all the sense of the world, if you've never done something, how can you plan logistics? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of, you know, there's just part of learning, but also, you know, you're doing an Ironman triathlon. So a lot of this is being able to pace yourself properly, right? It's not about how fast can you go? It's how mm-hmm. much can you not slow down? over an extended period of time. So especially with the bike, given your relative inexperience, I know you kicked butt on the trainer for several months, but what was it like for you to pace yourself um, during that, during the bike leg to make sure that you were, you know, as efficient as possible, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, that you did, you got kind of maximizing your ability. Like what, what were, what were the expectations for you going in? Yeah, I had ridden a a few 40 mile rides at about, 200 watts um and i felt like um with a taper that i should be able to maintain that the entire 56 miles and hopefully it should feel relatively good it should never feel like i'm you know hurting or like um overreaching you know or like dying by the end of it so i was i was very concerned on the bike about feeling good uh, but still maintaining over 22 mile an hour, which I felt like I should be able to do at uh, 205 watts. And I did. So I got on the bike and I was feeling great. And I had my race wheels on. So I was going faster at a uh, lower effort than I was on like my training wheels. Um, and so I was actually going over 23 miles an hour when my expectation was only 22 mile an hour. And it was feeling good. I did not feel like I was straining. And so I just wanted to feel comfortable. I really did. I wanted to feel comfortable enough and it was just all perceived effort. Like I didn't, um, I didn't look at my heart rate data to the end. I don't really know how, um, other people judge their effort on the bike. I, I have heard that people do judge it by their heart rate. They try to keep their heart rate at a certain level, but mine was very much perceived effort. As long as I didn't feel like it was hard, you know, and it really didn't. Um, then, and, and I was maintaining pace. I was going to keep up that pace. And I did, I was completely even the whole bike, you know, like 23.3 mile an hour at about two five watts. I felt great. Uh, the bike was fun because it didn't hurt like running as soon as you're in a race. I don't care if you're running a 5k or a marathon, like it is uncomfortable. And the bike was never uncomfortable. And even when I'm biking now, it's never really uncomfortable. And I think some of that is I need to learn to be more uncomfortable on the bike. But at the same time, I think it's some of the nature of uh, a non-impact exercise maybe, but the bike is awesome. It's so much fun. And um, yeah, it's, I love it. which is hard to say, but, uh, yeah. So then I got to the run and my legs were feeling okay. 
But um, I was, uh, I think um, I was just, I mean, I was tired, but it wasn't my legs that were tired. It was just my body and it was 80 degrees. So part of the reason, part of the issue, Matt, was I wasn't really acclimated to the heat at all because it was May 19th. We hadn't really gotten that many hot days in Dayton yet. And I hadn't really run in 80 degrees yet. So I think that was a large part of the problem. But um, I was chugging along, you know, I kind of felt like I did when I ran the Air Force Marathon last year um, when it was a dew point of 72. Oh, goodness. Like, it wasn't hard, but I definitely could not go any faster. Like, uh, I was at my body's max, but um, I wasn't, like, it was like my body was preserving itself from pushing to the well, just because it was just Mm -hmm. so hot and tired. And uh, But I remember looking around at everybody kind of going, like, why are we doing this? Why do people do this? Like, we have to run a half marathon. We've just been exercising for, like, three hours already. What is going on? It was so weird because I've never done a a four-and-a-half-hour race before, and it just felt so dumb (laughs) wow this is crazy you know why are we doing this um but at that point I was leading the race I didn't expect to be however I kept thinking somebody was gonna pass me because I knew I was fading on the run more than I had expected but I figured um you know just keep it in the seven minute range um I didn't feel like I wouldn't finish but man I was glad when I finally did (laughs) that's for sure I can imagine. So let's talk about your finishing place. Yeah. So I finished and Brian was like, we don't know if you won yet. Like that was the first thing out of his mouth. We don't know if you won yet because there's a girl that was a minute behind you, you know, um, in ship time and she's still on the course, but she's gaining on you. And as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, well, I lost the race right. because I really slowed down in the end. But it was. Okay. Well, let's, 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 let's just talk about this briefly, just just so people are aware. This isn't like Kona where everyone starts at the same time. This is there's a staggered start where it's one person after another like starting. So it's not as if like you lined up next to this woman and she fell behind and then came roaring back. Right. So the thing about it, like in a marathon, everybody, even if you're, you know, doing a rolling start, everybody's off the line in like eight to 10 minutes. Right. But the swim is in a half hour minute. It's different because you don't get all 2000 people off the line for 80 minutes. Right. So you're, you're, you're constantly putting people in the water. But even though I was up front, I still probably started a good 10, 15 minutes behind the first people because it just takes so much longer to spread people out, you know? So, um, so yeah, she was definitely quite behind me in the start, but in chip time, she was right there. So I, I mean, I had no idea, you know, and I knew I would have no idea where anybody really was. I'd be running my own race, which was fine was good probably um but yeah it's kind of a hard pill to swallow that you know i got beat by 20 seconds in a four and a half hour race and if you actually add up my bike my run and my swim i was faster than her she beat me in the transitions you know like who would have thought like i would have lost the race in transition time but that's where i'm at i guess i don't know so all kind of odd and and crazy right so you finished second which means you earned your pro card Correct. Yes, that was the goal. And you qualify for world championships. Yeah. So I decided if I had decided to just go ahead and get my pro card and race as a pro, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, accept my age group qualifier for the world championships. So I decided I'm going to go ahead and race as an age grouper this year and, and, um, you know, try to podium, I guess, in the 70.3 championships as an age grouper. And then next year I'll get my pro card and race as a pro and try to earn a spot to world championships as a pro, which is a lot harder, right? Because you have to be top two as a pro in most races and not, you know, top two as an age grouper, right? Right. All right. So this is a great segue into 
you just alluded to all of a sudden you have these huge triathlon goals. Two years ago, triathlon, you know, that, that was like not even like a twinkle in your eye at that point. Right. For you, you were focused on the Olympic trials. So let's focus yeah. now on the next nine months yes. in yes. terms of yes. what are some of the things that you're that you're excited about? What are you doing uh, to prepare for the trials? And how has this really taken like a hard left turn from what you'd planned on doing? Yeah, so I will do a few triathlon. You know, I'll do the three half Ironmans I signed up for this summer, and I'll do half Ironman Worlds in uh, Nice, France, in September. And then after that, um, the focus will change to running more. Uh, my goal race in the fall is going to be the Indy Half Marathon, the Indy Monumental Half Marathon. I do want to try to run a PR there of. 114, 115. I really do think I can do it if um, I'm not injured and I train a little bit smarter. So that's my goal race. Um, I am going to run the Queen Bee Half Marathon again um, in October. I ran that last year. It was really, really fun race. So I'm going to do that. Um, However, my training, I'm going to change my training based on my triathlon training and what I've learned. So before I probably would run like 95 100 miles a week trying to train you know for the trials you know in the fall and leading up to the trials but now um you know i realize i ran my best two marathons off about 80 85 miles a week um and when i tried to up the mileage my legs got really tired i was just overdoing it i could not perform and um run um you know 100 miles a week at the same time i think i just couldn't quite handle it and i just ran a 502 mile off you know 60 miles a week off half Ironman training. I think what works for me best is I'm going to go back to the 80, 85 miles a week and keep up with four to five hours of biking a week instead of trying to overdo, overcook my legs at a hundred miles a week. And, um, yeah. And, uh, I, I think that sticking to 80, 85 with a few hours of biking is going to serve me better, fresher legs, but still keep up the fitness and aerobic benefit that perhaps a hundred miles a week would give me. Um, cause I'm already seeing that, that, uh, I can perform at nearly the same level as I was off much lower mileage and, um, considerably more biking. And I just never thought that that would be the case. Exactly. So this is going to be fascinating to follow over the course of the next nine months, because you're going to be approaching the Olympic trials in a fashion that almost nobody else is. So we're really going to be able to take a look at comparing what you're doing and maybe comparing it to other people and ultimately see how the results play out. And in addition, unlike a lot of other people, you don't have a lot of goal races that have kind of set the stage for like, I am in, you know, a certain time, like I'm at, like for you, it's a 242 mm-hmm. marathon is your fastest, but at the same time, you don't have this wide array of goal races that you, you'll set a PR at and then another PR, then another PR, you approach mm-hmm. it in a very different way. So I feel like on a lot of levels, what you're able to do with the trials is really almost like a guessing game at this point. Yeah, you know, and honestly, too, I was thinking about it. I'm like, if I, you know, the trials is a really, really hilly course. We all know that it's super, lots and lots of climbing. And I thought, you know what, the biking is going to help me, you know, with the quad strength. I already feel like I'm a, I'm a fitter um, athlete. Um, and even runner just from the um, quad strength I've gained from the bike and on a course like that, the biking might be immensely beneficial. So uh, I'm really interested to see how I uh, perform in my long runs and stuff off the new approach, biking and a lower mileage. Um, I mean, I'm already doing long runs and I'm really running almost as well as I was at 90 miles a week and I'm only doing 60, not even 60, you know? So, um, 
Yeah, so I'm excited. Um, I think it'll keep me engaged more in the training because I'll be mixing it up more and, and again, you know, not wearing down um, my legs. But I also decided in the fall that I am going to get my pro card and I'm going to do one race as a pro. And I already know which one it is, but I'm not going to tell you yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Look at you. It's like you're the host. You're like setting up a teaser. This is working really well. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being a part of this project. I cannot wait to follow along. I think this is going to be really fun. So again, thanks again. And I look forward to talking to you again uh, in about a month, month and a half to see how everything's going. All right. Always good to talk, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you later. Sarah, thank you again for coming on the show. It's always a blast to talk to Sarah Bishop. Her and her husband, Brian, are just awesome, awesome people. And I've had a chance to see see them in person actually last year at CIM and hopefully again in the near future. Also, big shout out to Aftershocks. They are doing wonderful, wonderful things in the headphone space. I just got a new pair of their Aeropex uh, headphones and holy cow, they are unbelievable. Also, use code RTTOT, also olympictrials.aftershocks.com and save a bunch of money on their endurance bundle using that code. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing, for rating and reviewing the show. Also, if you have any suggestions for how we can improve the show, please feel free to reach out to me at rambling underscore runner, both on Instagram and on Twitter. You can also reach me at ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail. Dot com. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. Version.